0: Said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Braden Enterman.
1: The sermon title that I've, um, I've chosen is An Unnatural Selection. You guys are familiar with natural selection? As I was driving down south last Sabbath afternoon, I was just praying, Lord, what... I don't know about you, Lyle, but I find a sermon title is one of the hardest things to to come up with, you know. But this just popped into my mind and God developed a concept that um, I pray will be a real blessing to your your soul. And before I begin, I'd just like to... I want to thank Kelvin and David. Uh, They were here very late last night trying to help me to get my computer sorted out so I could actually have slides today. Um, we have such a devoted team here. I'm grateful for our musicians and for the people who are willing to step up, and I'm very grateful for you all. Uh, let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much because you have chosen us. And I want to pray to your Father, that today that we'd realize, Lord, just a little more, that we are precious in your eyes, and that you indeed are the creator of this earth, and that you did come and die for us, and are coming very soon, soon and very soon, to give us a home with you forever. I want to pray that our minds will be open to your Spirit's promptings, and I pray dear Lord, that you keep me in the palm of your hand and present a message that will be a blessing to people today. In Jesus' name, amen. So an unnatural selection. Have you ever watched, you may not have watched, but I, I've watched people who... I'm messing around with things called blindfolds. Sometimes you have it at games at different parties and stuff like that. Maybe pin the tail on the donkey. Have you ever watched that happen? And you've got this, or a pinata or something like that, you've got this blindfold on your eyes, and let's just say you pin the tail on the donkey. What are you trying to do? Pin the tail on the donkey. How many times have you actually seen the pin and the tail getting put where the tail's meant to go? And you see, you see them walking around like this. And they walk up, and they they make a very, very unnatural selection. It might be on the eye, or it may be on the mouth, or it may be anywhere but where the tail's meant to go. It's amazing when we're blindfolded, the, the selections that we make. I want to tell you a brief story just to open up. A friend of ours, someone that my brother and I, brother and I know very closely. Good to see you, Callum. Through a bunch of circumstances and discouragement, he thought that the best option was to take his own life. Do you know anyone who's come to that place? And my dad actually had uh, the grim task of actually... He didn't die, by the way, praise the Lord, but my dad had to go and find him as he was tucked in bed, having overdosed and was just waiting to die. Uh, My dad found him before it was too late and was able to call the ambulance and get him there. And I, I tell you what, days afterwards, my stomach was churning to think, how could you come to a place where this is the best selection, where this is the best thing to do? All the other options in his life just didn't seem like, were not tenable, there were not good options, and he thought that the best thing to do was to take his own life. Have you ever looked back in your own life and said, why did I make that decision? It just seems so unnatural. Why would I make a decision like that? And you can see in hindsight, you're like, I should have made that decision. I should have made that decision. But in the very heat of the moment, when maybe the waves of despair are rolling in, you make a decision that seems natural because all the other options seem impossible. I'm going to stop on that thought right there. and I'm going to pick it up later on in the sermon. But I want to take you through a very brief uh, journey over the life of this man, Charles Darwin. Has anyone heard of Charles Darwin? Does anyone get a little intimidated when you hear the name Charles Darwin? He's plastered throughout textbooks and believe it or not, people are actually intimidated by the name Charles Darwin. Uh, Society, and especially in the academic realms, he's been put up on a pedestal as someone who has freed the world from all of the bondage of religion. But I want to take you through and just introduce you to the man Charles Darwin and take a look at his theory and see if it holds water. And then I want to jump back to the... To the thought that I began with. Charles Darwin was born in England, a pl- place called Shrewsbury. I don't know if that's how you meant to say it. Um, I'm certainly not saying it with the right accent. But he was born there, and he was born to wealthy parents. And young Charles was offered basically every opportunity that you could want. I think his dad was a social doctor or whatever that is, and a man of means, a man he was an investor, I think he was. He had a lot of money. And basically, Charles could do anything that he wanted to do. Of course, his dad wanted him to make something of his life and was desperate that he become like a surgeon or a doctor. But we find out later on that Charles couldn't actually handle seeing blood. He's, he just had a weak stomach and that's why he didn't do it. But as a child, this is a picture of, or a painting of him in, the, in early age and then we even have one of him very young. He seems to have a passion about plants and things like that. But if you want to understand Charles Darwin in a nutshell... He was a boy who loved collecting bugs and that passion developed and grew until when he was actually at university, he just couldn't face the blood of surgery and he found himself, even in primary school, he just his mind was wandering. He wanted to go out and just collect bugs and, and spend time looking at natural things. After the medical thing didn't work out, the next best option, the dad thought, was for him to become a pastor. Very natural, right? And so he enrolled him at another school, I think it may have been Cambridge. But again, his heart was just, he just wanted to discover. He he just wanted to work out. He loved fossils, he loved things like that. And he found himself spending time with influential people who um, really just encouraged him in this journey. Uh, A few years later, he was given the opportunity to board the HMS Beagle and do a world, around the world trip. And he started here in Plymouth first went around South America, even came over and landed in Hobart and Sydney for a little bit. And have you guys ever been to, what's that mountain in Hobart? Is it Mount Wellington? He actually, before there was a road to the top there, he actually tried to climb his way to the top. first time he, got, he couldn't do it, um, got a bit lost, and the next time he made it to the top. So he, he, he got around. But his main discoveries are made in this particular area here, in, in South America. He made some observations, and I don't want to oversimplify, but these are some of the observations that he made. He noticed that within different, within different species, for example, the finches, they weren't all alike. They, some of them had big beaks, some had small beaks. And as he was contemplating, this beak is pretty good for, for certain things, and this beak here is good for certain things as well. And he realized that in different areas on the Galapagos Islands, some finches survived better than others. If there are nuts and various things that need a big beak, this fellow over here, number one, he did quite well. If there's little tiny holes with worms, number four did quite well. And he started to ponder and to theorise as to what this all meant. And the long and the short of it is that he came to the conclusion that through a process called natural selection... Animals and, and species can change over time and become something that they weren't before. Okay, so what is natural selection? Uh, the dictionary definition is this: the process whereby organisms better adapted to their environment tend to survive and produce more offspring. The theory of its action was first fully expanded by Charles Darwin, and is it is now regarded to be the main process that brings about evolution. You know, Charles Darwin was thinking, well, if the beak can change, what else can change? Give it enough time, you'll be able to get this species turn into this species. And this, um, as this wasn't discovered at that particular time, but genetic mutations, who's heard of genetic mutations? I think Lyle's spoken of them. It's basically where the information gets a little bit damaged or whatever, and it can produce something different. You know, some people are born with an extra finger or something like that. And the idea is that little genetic mutations over time, we're able to change species into another whole kind of species. Now, I want to ask the question, you may be wondering why in the world I have a picture of a nose on the screen. How, if we were to line all of ourselves up and take photos of all of our noses, how similar would our noses be? Our noses would be incredibly different. And If anyone's ventured to look closely at mine, you'll notice that it's crooked. My brother and I have crooked noses. Sorry, Cal. <laughs> But the, th- the point that I want to make here is that even though as, as Christians we are, we, we're kind of a bit sus on the whole theory of evolution, there is a type of evolution. It's called microevolution, where there's minor changes within a species. And that is totally fine. That's the reason why we all don't look alike. Um, that's the reason why you get people like this, this guy who's really tall and this guy who's really short. But the question is, can these minor changes over time make a fish into a human? And has that ever been observed? That's the question I want to look at. This is the claim in Science Daily. Natural selection can turn dinosaurs into birds, amphibious mammals into whales, and the ancestors of apes into humans. That's the claim of the theory of evolution. And we want to ask the question, is there any evidence for that? If you were to walk up to someone who believes in the, in the theory of evolution that we came from you know, some kind of sludge or something like that and ask them, can you give me one example where you can see evidence of one kind turning into another, a fish turning into a... Have we got any evidence for that? And Friends, I want to just take you through the best evidence that's available, the things that they draw on to answer that question because I think it's important for us to know. So there is a distinction. There's microevolution, which brings about a whole different type of variety of dogs. You know, if you breed all the runts together, they're just going to get these small little dogs, right? If you breed all the big ones, they just get bigger. But there's another thing called macroevolution where you have a total transformation of kind. We see heaps of evidence of this, but do we see evidence of, of this? Another example here. Charles Darwin said this If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. He recognized if this could not be proven, his theory would fall apart. And so the question I, I present is Is there any evidence? Can we look around our world and find any evidence of this massive shift? from fish to humans or or whatever it is. Um, A guy by the name of Jerry A. Coyne, he's a a professor or was the professor of ecology and evolution at the University of Chicago. He spent his entire life, I guess, as a a really strong proponent of the theory of evolution. He wrote books on it and various things like that. I want to take you through his prime evidence for the theory of evolution. Okay, so there's a number of bridges between different kinds. The first one is from fish to amphibians. This is a, um, a, a shift that um, necessarily needs to take place for the, order of, uh, for the theory of evolution to, to succeed. And can anyone say that? tik This is the evidence that is cited to, to basically conclude that fish became amphibians. And that's him right there. Tiktaalik. I don't know. I don't know what you was found, this little guy was um, found, but this is a computer regeneration of what that may have looked like. And this here is cited as being the evidence that fish became amphibians. Now, have you ever seen anything like that before? What about this guy here? An axolotl salamander. Thank you, Lyle, for pointing me in that direction. But I ask the question, I see guys like this around in society today. And the whole, I guess, the, the, the strength or the validity of that claim is hinging on a fella here and this is what he looks like. This is all we have. That's him right there. Now, one of the problems that I have is that there is over 15,000 different varieties of fish. There's over 7,000 different varieties of amphibians, and we have Tiktaalik in the middle, who claim, and the claim is, is that because of this guy here, fish became amphibians. And there might be one or two others similar to Tiktaalik, but this is the main guy. Does that sound reasonable? We've got 15,000 here, 7,000 over here, and there's one fossil that seems to look like both, so we conclude that fish became amphibians. I don't think it's reasonable. Anyone else want to have a try of this name here, Ichthyostega? This particular discovery is like cited as the evidence that amphibians became reptiles, or the other, the other way around. And this is the guy here. Okay, this is a particular discovery that was made, and this is what he was supposed to look like. And again, 7,000 amphibians, 10,000 reptile species... And this guy is claimed to be the link that proves that reptiles and amphibians became one or the other. doesn't sound reasonable to me. The next one is the archaeopitrix. Archaeopteryx. He's claimed to be the link between the reptile world and the bird world. And this is the guy here. I don't know if you've read any articles recently, but there's actually been some articles that suggest that this is actually either a fraud or something that is just completely pointing up in the other way. This is the key evidence to suggest that. And this is a a computer generation of what it would have looked like. And again, 10,000 reptile species and 18,000 bird species, and we've got this one guy in the middle. And that is the chief evidence, the chief evidence of Darwinian evolution. Now the other one is embulocetus, which is the guy in the middle that is supposedly meant to link whales with mammals. And I don't know whether you know, but this is this is the claim that a really large rodent, or a rouse is it, rodent of unusual size, became a whale. That is the claim. And friends, I do not want to in any way come across as mocking or anything like that. I'm just presenting what I have found this week, hours and hours of research. That is the claim. And this is the guy here. They found this sea-dwelling kind of creature and it has back legs. And the conclusion is that because they found this guy and maybe two more of different sizes, that it proves that Rodents, or mammals, and whales, or or the rodent became a whale. And this is, you can see again, 86, mammal, that's meant to be around the other way, sorry. Okay, this here is essentially the summary that we have of Darwinian evolution. Fish came out of the water and became humans eventually, and the mammals eventually headed back in there and became whales. That is the claim, and I'm not trying to mock in any way, but this is the claim. And so here we have the, the, the basic um, pattern. Here we have fish becoming eventually yours truly. This is, the, this, is the, this is the map of evolution. Now, this is one of the challenges that they find. They find different things that are no longer in our world today. We, we call them a, a species that, have, that are no longer existing. They're extinct. And they find different similarities and they put them together in a sequence and suggest that they're related to each other somehow. Now, do these guys kind of look similar, would you say? If you found these two things, would you hazard a guess that they may be related? That is a kangaroo, and that there is a T-Rex. Interesting, hey? But this is the basic approach that, at least in my research I've seen, is that they find things that seem to be related, and they pop them together, and they make make a theory. Now, if you were to ask someone someone who believes in the theory of evolution or a scientist or something and say, do, can you see anything today, anything today that c- you can observe that proves the theory of evolution, that you can have a change of species or a change of kind, and they'd say, absolutely we can. You talk to this guy right here, and he's been working on this project to do with bacteria for a long time. And in just... I. I'd at the risk of really oversimplifying, which I am, he basically put this E. coli bacteria in this solution or whatever. And there's different la- layers or something like that, and it produced different varieties of bacteria. And, and they cite this as the evidence that we have observed that, of, of Darwinian evolution. The only problem is, is that it's still bacteria it still has changed like a little bit of a look or whatever and I, I just think it's very much like this you have a different variety of the same thing and that there my friends I've just shared with you and I've oversimplified to the max but that there is the key that is like almost the sum of the evidence that has been given of Darwin and evolution that we can observe that's it So, And we ask the question, is the theory of evolution even scientific then? According to the Science Daily, the scientific method is the collection of data through observation and experimentation and the formulation and testing of hypothesis. It has never been observed, friends. No one has ever observed Darwinian evolution taking place. The best they have is fossils that they try to put together in in like a puzzle to try to make, make a make a hypothesis, but it's never been observed. Richard Dawkins says this, we are condemned to live only for a few decades and that's too slow, too small a timescale to see evolution going on. And yet it's still hailed as the most scientifically accurate thing in our world today. Now I'll leave that with you. Now, that out the road, I now want to turn to the real reason why I wanted to preach this message today. This is my basic question right here. It seems very unnatural that a person would be so dogmatically committed to a worldview that removes all meaning for the present and all hope for the future. Why the unnatural selection? I want to read it one more time. It seems very unnatural that a person would be so dogmatically committed to a worldview that removes all meaning for the present and all hope for the future. Why the unnatural selection? Are you catching the significance of that saying right there? What we've just looked at, I've just run through just the the nuts and bolts, the basics of the evidence for the theory of evolution, and drawn to its natural conclusion, there is no meaning for the present. We are simply animals running on our instincts, there is no such thing as love, and we have no hope for the future. Now, I don't know about you guys, but would that be your natural selection? If you were to compare the Christian worldview and to compare the theory of evolution, what would be your natural selection? Where would you be, which one would you be hoping would be right? I'd be hoping for the one that has hope. So check this out. In the theory of evolution, we are the product of time and chance. Life has no transcendent meaning. Survival is the ultimate goal of life. Love is an illusion. It's just a trick that we do on each other to get our own way and to survive. Death is final and irrevocable. On the other hand, with the creation perspective, we are created by a loving God. We exist for a purpose. Relationships are the goal. Love is real. Death is temporary and reversible. I want to ask you the question, if if you had all of the information taken out of your brain, what would be your natural selection? Even if this didn't check out, that would be your natural selection. Just the very hope of having your loved ones in your arms once again, that would be your natural selection. So my question again... Why are people so radically and dogmatically committed to this worldview while this is a possibility? Even if this doesn't check out, in my eyes it's still worth a shot. In my eyes, it's still worth a shot. That there is my natural selection, so why the unnatural selection? I wanted to run you through now, and I'm actually really amazed at how that it's not twelve o'clock already. Praise the Lord. I want to take you through a little bit of history, showing you the time in which the theory of evolution arose. Check this out. From the time of the cross down to 2017. Right bang smack in the middle of all of this is a period called the Dark Ages. Now, is that a particular time period that as Adventists, we've we've, um, discovered or really emphasised on. Absolutely, it is the 1260 days of Bible prophecy that we find in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. God predicted that there'd be a period of religious tyranny when people would misrepresent his name and persecute his people. Right through the Middle Ages, there was only one church in town. If you ventured to believe differently from the church of the day, you could end up being drawn, courted, burnt at the stake or anything else. Um, Things that are unimaginable. And this was Christianity. This was Christianity. People living in this time, if you... Well, number one, you probably couldn't read. It was illegal to read the Bible and all other material was stifled as well. Science and discoveries and inventions and art was all but stifled during this particular part here. But around this time about here, a period called the Renaissance took place and people started discovering the ancient Greek um, and Roman writings and they started to think for themselves and they said, wait a second, the church of the day has just been keeping us down. We need to venture out, we need to start thinking for ourselves and we were ushered into a period called the Age of Reason, where people exalted reason as the most lofty and incredible thing. And nearing the end of here, we had a thing called the French Revolution. And the basic summary of it was, the people said, we don't want a pope, and we do not want a king. We want to be able to think for ourselves, reason, the goddess of reason, that is the be-all and end-all. Friends, people were absolutely mortified about what Christianity had done throughout the Middle Ages, and they were looking for other alternatives. If this is what Christianity was all about, where you just had to come and pay money to get your loved ones out of purgatory and out of hell, if that's what Christianity was all about, if God was a God who would burn you in hell forever, if that's what Christianity was all about, then I don't want a bar of it. The French Revolution went so far as to even change the weekly cycle. I think it was an 8-day week, and was it a 15 or something like that? 10-day week. They even changed it to do spite to the biblical 7-day week. We don't want anything to do with this God of the Bible anymore. Bibles were burned. And fortunately, the Protestant Reformation had been going on as well. But it had come to a place where even the Protestant churches... Uh, like the Church of England and various places like that, they weren't even representing Christ well. They were not presenting a good picture of Christianity. They were, they were burning people at the stake as well. And things were not looking good. And if you were a thinking person who wanted to be able to find answers, you would be sickened to behold the religion of the day. And friends, lo and behold, after the 1798, when the, when the, when the Roman church was brought to its knees and its power was taken off it by the French government, what happened in this space right here? The theory of evolution emerged. And I want to ask this question, why did it emerge? I mean, Charles Darwin was going to be a pastor. He grew up in the Unitarian Church. He was not an atheist why did he come to this conclusion and why did as soon as he published this thing everyone jumped in behind him and said we're with you Darwin this is this is how and where we came from why did they do that I'm hazarding a guess friends that the misrepresentation of Christ throughout the dark ages led people to be hungry for another alternative they didn't want that alternative They were hungry for another alternative and they were even so willing as to come from slime and to be the descendants of monkeys. That was a more natural selection to them than to agree with the God of the Middle Ages. Does that make sense? Isn't that terrible? This, I believe, left a vacuum. People were hungry for answers. The church had not given the answers and the Bible really was still closed and it ushered in Notice my language, another dark ages. You know, friends, when I look around today, I see the exact same replication of the dark ages today. During this time, religion was the top dog. And only the experts could understand, and everyone just had to trust what they say. Today, we find the exact same thing, but it's a secularized version where the experts are the ones who do all the research and everyone else trusts implicitly to what they find. You know, I watched an interview of young people at university and they said, why do you believe in the theory of evolution? And they said, well, my professor, he, he believes it and he's a smart guy. I believe him. You mean even though you don't have any evidence, evidence observable evidence for the theory of evolution, yeah, I trust this guy. He, he's, he's smart, he's done, he's done a doctorate, and I believe him. We've come to a same place, friends, where we just trust... To the people, this upper echelon in society, it's the exact same thing that happened during the Dark Ages. This next slide you're going to find very, very interesting. So, Charles Darwin in the early 1800s was doing his rounds around the world. He was making his discoveries, and can someone tell me what else was happening at that time? There was a man by the name of William Miller who at the very same time was studying his Bible like there's no tomorrow. And he became convicted that Jesus was coming very soon. That's where we came from. Him and others who started studying their Bibles and getting back to what the Scriptures say, this was happening at the very same time that this guy here was looking for answers and a whole bunch of people like him. Friends, you're going to find this very, very interesting. Do you know the very year that Darwin's Origin of the Species was first, the draft, was first published? 1844. Do you find this coincidental? We go way back two and a half thousand years and God made a prediction that at the very end of time, at this very time, people would start studying the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, and come to amazing conclusions and understand God's character in a powerful way, that a movement would be raised up who would proclaim the gospel as it is in Christ. And at the very same time, the theory of evolution emerged. At the very same time. Do you find that coincidental? Not at all. Friends, what is our mission if you could find it in scripture. What is our mission statement? Where would you take me? Let's go to Revelation 14 together and we'll understand our mission and why God raised up this church to do what, it, what it's doing. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Revelation 14 and verse 6, and it says this, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. Isn't that powerful, friends? We were called at this very time to proclaim Christ, to proclaim God as the creator of the universe. That there is a quotation from the seventh commandment, and the the very day that we are worshipping on right now is a commemoration of, of Christ's creative work back in the Garden of Eden. And it speaks of preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is our mission statement. And right on time, prophetically, a movement was raised up who would point to Christ as creator, who would magnify God's character at this particular time and at at the very same time. A man by the name of Charles Darwin espoused the theory that we came from nothing and that God does not exist. Isn't this sad? Friends, I want to bring this home now. Uh, okay, does anyone recognize this guy? I tell you what, isn't, hasn't he got an incredible voice? <laughs> anyone trying to narrate a uh, video of nature, like, you just can't do it like this guy. Is this guy a creationist or an evolutionist? He's an evolutionist. Have you ever come across his reason why? When creationists, this is him speaking, when creationists talk about God creating every individual species as a separate act. They always instance hummingbirds or orchids, sunflowers and beautiful things. But I tend to think instead of a parasitic worm that is boring through the eye of a boy sitting on the bank of the river in West Africa. A worm that is going to make him blind. And I ask them, are you telling me that the God you believe in, who who you also say is an all-merciful God who cares for each one of us individually, are you saying that God created this worm that he can live in no other way than in an innocent child's eyeball? Because that doesn't seem to me to coincide with a God full of mercy. Do you understand the real reason why people are making such an unnatural selection to say that they came from apes? What answer do they need? They need the message that you and I have been entrusted with the message of the great controversy, which vindicates God in the presence of evil, explains its origin, explains how God is dealing with it, and promises that God will one day recreate all things again. The message that you have is what the world needs. The, the intelligent design community, which believe, even if they don't believe necessarily in the God of the Bible, they believe that something designed it versus the, the, the Darwinian evolution model, they're always at head, longer heads. You read, the web, you read the articles, you read all these different things, and it's just back and forward, back and forward, and no one is willing to give because it's all argue, arguing on an intellectual level and not addressing the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is this. For people like Richard Dawkins and others, What kind of God would allow this kind of world to exist? If he's all-powerful, if he's all-loving, if he's all-good, why doesn't he do something about it? That there is the elephant in the room. And once that question is answered, it opens the way for people to be able to even begin to accept, or at least to have a look at, the concept that we are created in God's image. Why is the world in the condition that it is? Why is evolution taught as fact? in our schools do we have a responsibility as a church we have been given knowledge about why evil exists we've been given this knowledge in such a way that God is made beautiful and glorious and lovely we see that even though this world is in rebellion God does not want to force our free wills he's working to attract us by his love this is the message that we've been given. And at the very time that the prophecy directed, we rose up. And that very time, the theory of evolution also emerged. I want to conclude by sharing a story. A friend of mine grew up in a, in a home where I do not think Christ was represented as he should be. He grew up more afraid of God than in love with God. And a divorce ensued, and the mother went a different way. She'd had enough. And her children went with her, at least in heart. You know, I I chatted with my friend um, maybe a year back, and he knows all the information. He may as well be a Christian. He knows all the information but as I asked him questions as to why he's doing what he's doing, why are you partying, why are you drinking, why are you doing all these different things? He said, If, if my mum's going to hell, as a child, I made this decision. If my mum's going to go to hell, I'm going to go too. What kind of picture of God did this young boy have? What did he need? Why was this, why such an unnatural selection? Why would he choose to, for, to, to, to cast aside all hope for the future? Why would he do that? Because he did not understand the love of God for him. And that God loves his mom just as much as he loves his dad. Friends, there are decisions that your loved ones are making that are unnatural. And you're tempted to just go, wise up. You know, you're just tempted to just come on, you know, start using your brain, do something. But friends, at the bedrock, you want people to make a natural selection you want people to choose God, you want people to be a Christian, you've got to answer the bedrock questions that are causing the hurt, that is causing them to make an unnatural selection. For some people, they would rather come from slime, have no meaning in the, per- meaning in the presence, to have great-uncle as being an ape. They're willing to have that as the alternative. That's the one they're going to commit to because they do not want that God to exist that my mum told me about. They do not want that God to exist that my church taught me about. Friends, not everyone is in this category. Some people ascribe to the theory of evolution because they're proud. It gives them status in society and makes them feel good. Some people are deadly sincere and they've never, ever heard of the alternative. But friends, for many, many people, they need to know how much God cares for them. And I want to make a challenge to each one of you today. If you find that your children or yourself are making some unnatural decisions at times, yeah, why did I make that decision friends I encourage you to open the Bible and to spend time beholding the love of God for you he don't want to control you with fear he wants to transform you by beholding his loveliness and his grace he's not a God with a, with a big bat and as soon as you step out of line he's just going to club you into next week that is not who God is he's a good God, he loves you and he's your father I want to challenge you to have a revisioning of who God is in your life. You'll find yourself making some more natural selections in life. And for your children, if they're making some unnatural selections, I encourage you to lift up Christ to them. Exemplify Christ to them. That's how you do it best. And at every opportunity you get, explain to people the origin of evil. Do a great controversy Bible study with someone. Pray that you'll be able to help your friend who just hates God and is that something that you guys are willing to commit to? And to recognize that we have been called for a specific purpose for such a time as this, to preach the everlasting gospel, the everlasting gospel that God is good, that his mercies endures forever, that his truth endures to all generations, and that he was willing to give his life and pour it out on the cross for humanity. People that spat in his face, beat him until he was lost so much blood that he couldn't take it anymore and then died and said, Father, forgive them. That's the kind of God. And friends, when I look at that, I'm more ready to make a natural selection. Are you? Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much um, that there is coming a day. Um, And we look forward to that with all of our hearts, Lord God. I want to pray to your Father that you would help us as a people to reflect you well and to proclaim this beautiful message to the world. And may we live the life of Christ. May Christ live in us, the hope of glory. And I pray dear Lord, that people by beholding us would see the greatest, ev- the greatest evidence for the Christian creationist perspective. Because love is not something that fits into the evolutionist worldview. But when we lay down our lives for others, we have the greatest evidence, the greatest proof that there is a creator, God. Be with us, Lord, as we travel from this place. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: This message was made available by Adventist Streaming. For more resources like this, visit adventist-streaming.org.
2: Braden and Elise Entman just sang "Where Christ Is" from the album "A New Song Collective." Coming up next, the Sharon Bethel Quartet will be singing "What a Day That Will Be." There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day, that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there, and forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be, what a day that will be. glorious
3: day that will
0: be. We hope you enjoy the short presentation of how God led his people after the Reformation from
4: lineagejourney.com As the Mayflower first caught sight of land off the coast of Massachusetts, that first group of pilgrims could not have imagined what would become of this land. Whilst they were only seeking a place where they could experience freedom of worship, as with many things in life, the reality became much bigger than the original idea landing here in Plymouth Rock and settling nearby. The pilgrims struggled through the first winter, losing over 40 of their friends, but due to the generosity of some of the local Native Americans, the rest made it through. As the years passed and more people made the journey over, settlements were founded and the east coast became more and more populated until eventually there were 13 colonies. During the rise of what would become the United States of America, these 13 colonies were under the rule of the British crown. But tension would build over the years until eventually war broke out between the colonies and the crown. The British were defeated. And the colonies would go on to sign the Declaration of Independence here in the Independence Hall in Philadelphia in 1776, July the 4th. Four days later, on July the 8th, the bells would ring out in Philadelphia as the declaration was read out. One of the bells that was rung is believed to have been Liberty Bell, which thereafter would go on to become a symbol of freedom. Over the years, America will become a haven for those seeking refuge from religious persecution. Although Western Europe had gone through a reformation, in many cases the movement of reform had stagnated, and whilst the new religion would have some different beliefs, often they administered control and discipline like the Mother Church, and did not take kindly to dissenters and non-conformists. Some coming over were seeking new opportunities, and this new land with an undiscovered interior would prove fertile terrain. The new pilgrims recognized the tyranny that had been imposed in Europe with state-run churches and were familiar with the corruption where church officials and priests were sometimes little more than civil servants. Thus, as the founding fathers set out the Constitution and the Bill of Rights that would form the basis of the United States of America, they were very careful that the two institutions of church and state should remain separate. It would read, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The church would not be beholden to the state, and the state could not act in the special interest of any particular church, but rather treat all people equally in the sight of the law. It was Benjamin Franklin who said, when religion is good, I conceive it will support itself. And so in America, they sought to have a religion that did not rely on the support of the state. And so this encouraged more than one church to form. There was not, and there is not, a National Church of America, an official, denomination or religion, but rather America was founded on the principle of the separation of church and state. This more than anything else is what helped make America great and has been the cause of its prosperous past and present. Freedom of religion lies at the foundation of all other freedoms. And once this goes, the others will crumble in quick succession. America will be a fertile ground for many churches to flourish. And over the upcoming weeks and months, we will see some of the movements that took root here and grew in this land of liberty. Stay with us over the upcoming episodes as we continue this journey and as we explore our lineage.
0: For more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com.
5: Hi, I'm Marilyn, the two tip lady, helping make your life more simple. Have you ever been depressed? If you think it's just your lot in life to be depressed, then listen up, because I'm going to share two simple tips to help you overcome depression and brighten up. Just two tips. I could share more, but this is enough for one dose of medicine. Here's tip number one, open your door and go for a walk. Set your timer for seven and a half minutes. When the timer beeps, turn around. Retrace your steps. You know, we can boss ourselves to do anything for 15 minutes. I can remember at one stage when our son was a little baby and I was suffering from something that I didn't want to name. Yes, I had postnatal depression. I didn't want to see anyone. I wanted to be isolated. But did that help? No. Someone would knock on the door. I didn't want to open the door. I didn't want to mix with people. I didn't want to go to church. I wanted to stay home and be miserable. But when I would open the door and go for a walk, I always came back feeling better. I would pass others out on their walks and out of sheer courtesy I'd have to look up and greet them. Their brightness would often be catchy and I'd often find a bit of a smile on my face as they passed. Now, if you do what depression makes you want to do and you isolate yourself, you are guaranteed to feel worse. So here's my simple tip number one again. Open your door and go for a walk. Now, if you're depressed, let me ask another question. Wow, this is some question. Do you have toxic friends? What's a toxic friend? Well a toxic friend is someone who's got a poisonous atmosphere around them. Do you ever walk into somebody's home and instantly you feel like a worm and you feel like nothing you do or say is right? Or do they immediately start to dump on you all their troubles, real or imagined? Some of us have, sadly, toxic friends. So choose your friends carefully, you don't have to walk in their door. If you're trying to overcome depression, here's tip number two that is so simple. Not easy, but you can do it. Here it is, tip number two. Choose to be an uplifting friend yourself. You'll find that blessing others will bless you. Because happiness is a perfume you cannot pour on others without getting a few drops on yourself. And until you feel better and that happiness perfume is spilling into your life, choose positive friends who express gratitude, friends who inspire you to want to feel better and be better. And choose to be an uplifting friend, no matter how you feel. I like to say this, be my feelings what they will, I can uplift my friends still. I can, it's a choice. We've all heard the text in Proverbs 17.22 that says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Being depressed makes me think of dry bones with all the life sucked right out of them. So let's do today what we can do to choose the best medicine. Take these two little doses today. Open your door, go for a walk, and choose to be an uplifting friend yourself. Swallow this medicine today and you will brighten up. Your life will become more simple and happy, guaranteed. That's it today from the Two-Tip Lady who loves to help make your life more simple.
3: It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.